penal, not penile. P E N A L. Yeah, it's a penal colony. Penal. Bunch of dudes. Penal. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm Katie. And today I am passing the torch to Jake and Rory for our episode on what? The Skinwalker Ranch. Bum, 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 bum. Katie's not your host. Katie's not your host. Me and Rory hosting. I read a book. No, I listened to a book. <laughs> nope. Did you Did you listen to the whole thing? I fell asleep for all maybe 10 minutes of it. The book's only an hour and a half long. What the fuck, man? That was towards the end. I listened to the full first half for this episode since it's a two-parter on this special, special September. I forgot. Okay, so I actually... And where did you guys do your research? So the book that I'm using as a reference and guide, among a few other places about Navajo and Ute interactions, but the main book that I used for my research was Hunt for the Skinwalker, Science Confronts the Unexplained at a Remote Ranch in Utah. And it's by Comb A. Keller and George Knapp. Now you may recognize George Knapp. He is the guy that's on was on Coast to Coast AM. He's a journalist. Nobody takes him seriously because he believes in UFOs, apparently. That's what the whole first chapter of the book is about. <laughs> him complaining? Well, it's not even like a chapter. It's like the preface to the book but he talks about like i can't believe people don't believe that this is science and shit like that but <laughs> nobody takes colm keller seriously either with a name like colm it's a good name my main uh book that i used i listened to it on audible uh was skinwalker ranch facing the unknown force that haunts the U uinta uinta the uinta basin by conrad bauer and uh that was narrated by a special gentleman. Don't remember his name. I don't think it? you need the narrator in there. It, it wasn't that good. I'm not going to lie. Also used a little bit of skinwalkerranch.org for our timeline. We used a little bit of terrible uh, Legends of America and terrible documentaries. Man, we didn't actually watch the full George Knapp one. Katie and I kind of watched a little 30-minute documentary that summarized basically the book I had just listened to. And read part of, I actually had to lose. Oh, and Scribd.com, I'd like to thank them for allowing me to have a membership. <laughs> the moral of the story is that it's kind of uh, like, you're not supposed to talk about this. So it's a little hard to find real information. There's just all kinds of people speculating all yeah. over the internet. Yeah, the actual Skinwalker part of it is like crazy history with the Navajo and everything. We'll get into it, but... You're about to find out! Okay, you want to kick us off, Roar? How did we decide we were going to say this name? I don't remember exactly, but I'm going to give it a shot. Because <laughs> I say it a lot, but... Ye... Nadloshi? Nadloshi. Nadloshi. Okay, Ye Nadloshi. He who walks on all fours. Skinwalker. By means of it, it goes on all fours. Those are just some of the names that the uh, Navajo have. The actual literal... Translation of Yi Nadloshi is by means of it, it goes on all fours. And now the Navajo Nation is actually like one of those people that are kind of shut down and don't need to talk about such things with outsiders. So little information has trickled out through the years. And that's what we're going to kind of have to use to get a definition of what a skinwalker is and how it influences the story we're about to tell. 
There are beliefs among many tribes throughout America that are very similar. Yi Naloshi, the Wendigo, Skudamukamuch, Skudamukamuch, Tata Klaya, Taihi Hahan. Oh, all share like similar characteristic and backgrounds where some of them are old Algonquin area, like the northern United States. Some of them are southwestern United States and even some of them like southeastern United States have their own like traditional shaman turned evil type of stories about like, I, I don't know if they're warning stories passed down, like too much power creates turns you into a monster or if there's something else behind it, but they all share a very similar trait where uh, like, let's just take in the skinwalker instance. It's basically a shaman who practices native magic and uses that magic to like hurt people or gain such a power that they've hit another level and that level twists them and makes them want to hurt people or use their magic for basically evil. And that's when they become skinwalkers? Yeah, that's when they learn the ability to, like, shift their skin into various animal shapes. Like, people say they see them as, like, foxes, coyotes, large wolves, bear, and they're always kind of the same, you know. Like Jacob from Twilight. Basically, yeah, they're they're like Jacob. No, that's more... <laughs> I'm just okay. kidding. I just so, wanted to make that joke. That's more of like a lycanthropy instead of a actual transformation through magic. Yeah, one of them is magic and one of them is makeup. And what is... So it's an overall negative, basically, theory around they believed that skinwalkers yeah. were bad? Like, how did they yeah, so, harm people? Well, they go and... Like, can kill people they have extreme powers i don't know what the exact harm they do to people is because they are so quiet about what they want you to know about skinwalkers all i know is that there are a few things that they take on like if you were the they only are really in danger of a skinwalker if you see it and it doesn't hurt you or doesn't kill you if you just see it then it has to kill you because People that learn a skinwalker's identity can speak their name and end them, banish them. That's the only like defense against a skinwalker because they have strong magics where they'll control your body. They'll steal your skin and wear it for themselves because they can transform into you, into you basically, if they're strong enough. And it, what really happens is like these people who are so into this mysticism, the Shamans that have become the uh, Yi Naloshi, they lose their human self and they actually over time become more and more animal-like the longer they live. And they're really hard to kill. There's like, some people say you can only kill it by saying its name. Some people, bullets dipped in ash. And some people say that you can only kill it in a graveyard when it's digging for bone dust to control. Because it does a magic over the dust and allows you to blow it into someone's face and turns you into like basically a zombie. And some people say you have to literally feed it Alpo. That'll just kill it right off the bat. You know, it's a slow burn. From what I read, Ute and Navajo tribes in the Uinta Valley commonly fought together against enemies, keeping them kind of away from each other and things like that, where they weren't necessarily enemies, but they worked to keep the outside world away. But then the Utes started trading with the Spanish people, and they got horses. 
And so with those horses came supremacy over, you know, in, in warlike situations, yeah, anyone on foot. So that's like the major turning point in most civilizations is when horses show up and they learn how to use them for battle. Horses and guns, probably. Horses right? and guns are pretty important. And this is all in Utah, right? I don't think we mentioned. Yeah, this is all in Utah. Sorry, guys. Uh, if you didn't know, uh, this this whole section of history starts out in uh, the Fort, Fort Duchesne. Yeah, in Fort Duchesne in western Utah, like midwestern Utah. Now, the Ute and Navajo tribes in the Uinta Valley commonly fought together against uh, common enemies. But when the Ute tribes began to trade with the Spanish and started riding horses, they began to kidnap the Navajos and take them to slave markets in New Mexico. Further, during the long walk of the Navajo, which was Civil War time, Ute tribes forced the Navajo from their land in central Utah to Fort Sumner in New Mexico. And it was at this time the Ute tribes believed... It's at this time the Utes believed that the Navajo unleashed the power of Yi Nadloshi against them. And that for generations they have been plagued by shape shape shifting witches wandering amongst them. Uh, so they eventually, so they essentially cursed them at this point. They, yeah, they cursed them and their land basically wherever they were lost or taken from, which was basically right in Utah, like right in the middle there, over on the west side. And then they the marched mountains. them all the way down to New Mexico. Marched them over to New Mexico where they gave them a reservation right after the Civil War granted or whatever they were granted the land. I'd probably curse them too at that point. I know. Basically, they stole your land. So there are claims of dog-headed men smoking cigarettes out by like, fences and stuff. Like People see that. and uh, Didn't you find an awesome picture of that? Yeah, it was pretty great. But <laughs> Was it photoshopped? Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, humanoid-looking dogs with really smelly skin running around extremely fast along the road to Fort Duchesne. Like, people have multiple reports of that. Like, Sholos standing on their back legs? Basically, but, like, really tall ones with, like, weird hair suits on. I would say more, like, floppy hair suit. But either way, those are reported through. And since they're witches, they do things to make people do things. They, you know, all the bad and terrible things that happen to people are because they were cursed by a skinwalker it's an easy out for that as well but it's like a scapegoat well, it's, more, it's more like this is just it's, it's more like saying this is god testing me but in a worse way like this person's actually hurting you oh so you're, it's like one of those like oh well it's just part of life yeah like, but here's skinwalkers the, getting after me today here's the crazy part i really like the other story which is like the northern uh, native tribes thing is the wendigo that one is a shaman who basically eats of human flesh and becomes like possessed with an evil spirit and likes to some of them say that however much they eat that's how much they grow so they can never fill themselves because they keep getting hungrier and hungrier so they get really tall and crazy looking yeah that one's favorite but... the more they eat the flesh the bigger they get yeah Skinwalker Ranch was purchased in 1905 by the Myers family and consisted of only a few small buildings near what is called Skinwalker Ridge. By 1934, the ranch was occupied by Kenneth John Myers and Edith Child Myers, both of whom never reported any instances of high strangeness. In 1987, after nearly 50 years of living on the parcel, Kenneth John Myers died, leaving Edith alone to run the farm by herself. In March of 1994, Edith died, and the farm was left to her brother-in-law, Garth, 
who subsequently sold the farm to the Sherman family, or as they are called in the book, The Hunt for the Skinwalker, the Gorman family. They literally just altered a name to hide the identity of these people. Is that what it was? I think so, because their names are like Tad Gorman and shit like that. <laughs> it's like, come on. We tried so hard to figure out what the correlation was between Gorman and Sherman, because their names were Sherman. Like, it's all over the place. But then there's all these random sources that say Gorman. And uh, I guess we determined that it was to hide their identities. It was like, oh my God, it was like when we were watching the documentary and the guy kept, he was supposed to say the rancher and his wife and he kept saying Terry and Gwen. Yeah. I mean, the rancher and his wife. Yeah, it was pretty funny. He did it like five times and they didn't bother to edit it out. High strangeness was fairly standard for the residents of Roosevelt, Utah, with stories of UFO and strange encounters dating back to the 1950s. But the Shermans had no idea what they were getting into living directly on the path of the Skinwalker. The Shermans loved the property and had visions of growing their cattle business with the sale of expensive Angus beef. A natural rancher and cattleman, Sherman had a passion for animal care and proper ranch management. So on the night they brought their first calf to the farm, off in the distance, Terry noticed, as a good cattle rancher would, a large animal moving towards them. As the thing grew nearer, Gwen came to the back of the truck and asked Terry what it was. A wolf was all Gwen could say as she saw the large gray beast casually heading towards the family. They figured it might be someone's large pet dog, but most of the calves were huddled against the far end of the corral as the beast was only a few hundred yards away. So Terry's out of his truck, like, unloading a few things, and he just pulled a heavy box off, and he looks up and sees his cattle out there, but off to the left, like... I think he said it was 400 yards away. He sees this like shape moving across and he's like, well, if that's an animal, that's a big ass animal. And it continues walking towards him and getting bigger and all the little cat cattle start like rushing to one side of the fence. Except for one, one stupid cattle cow was just sticking his head out going, rrr, rrr, you know, staring <laughs> that at one this. cow that knew it was time for dinner. It's yeah. Just like, I'm not leaving till I get my fucking slop. Yeah. He's all staring out at this big wolf thing walking at him, but Terry's father comes walking out. He had been helping his son move the cattle up, uh, and he came up to see what he and Gwen were staring at. And the wolf basically walked up to Terry's father, and Terry's father is a pretty big dude, and it seemed to come up to his chest, meaning that that wolf was at least five feet, five feet, five, five, yeah, four, four and a half, five feet off the ground, and uh. It seemed to just come up to his chest, and his father pet it, and was like, "This must be someone's tame animal." So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Has this guy never seen a dog before? Yeah, no, they thought it was. It looked like a wolf, but a dog mixture, but just huge. And this so, this guy's horse coyote is just chilling. Someone should check for a chip. <laughs> Man, these coyotes in Utah are huge. But no, so he, uh, the kids come running out, and they're like, "We should keep this. They won't. We want this to be our new pet." But. <laughs> Terry was like, no, even if it's a wild wolf, it'll still, like, even if it is a trained wolf or whatever, it can still snap at any minute, so we'll just let it get on its way. <laughs> and they all stood around kind of watching this large, smelly beast wander through the yard, and this calf that had its head stuck out of the bars of the corral was just sitting there, mooing away, and this thing was acting nonchalantly, then all of a sudden, snap, in an instant, this wolf beast leapt to the air, grabbed the little cow by its head. And was trying to pull it through. Through the bars of the fence? Yeah. And 
Terry and his father just like ran at it and Terry started kicking the wolf as hard as he could while his father beat it with a bat. They had just unloaded it from the truck that they had just unloaded from the truck and the wolf would not let go. And the calf's cries like are just crazy urgent at this point because he's got a giant 200 pound wolf or whatever hanging off of its head. And at this point he was literally beating it. They both were trying to get it off and it just had no, no no want to let go. It didn't really seem bothered by it. No, he, he just shook have, it off. Must have really loved his cows if he got that close to a well, five foot wolf. Oh, this is his investment. No, this is his investment. Like this is his whole idea for making money. He's got these Angus steers that he's growing huge, and they're a lot of upkeep, but they're really much more valued than the others so more so than your life yeah but this is make or break his family type of situation he didn't want to lose any of these cows because if he did he could potentially go broke yeah this is like the thing that makes your family name live on or die on the prairie yeah this is kind of one of those things you have to do if you're like a farm person you have to go out there and strangle a wolf every once in a while so terry shouts back at his son to get him the magnum and so so his son Gets in the magnum, and Terry shoots the wolf twice from like 12 feet away, hitting him in the ribs to absolutely no effect. It didn't even drop the calf or anything. It wasn't even phased. No. So with the next shot that he hits him with, the wolf actually releases the calf's head and stepped away from the corral. A fourth shot sent the wolf backing away from the family, but did not drop or really phase the animal at all. He just sort of started backing away slowly, staring at him. And... That's when Terry called for the yacht six, meaning it's 30 yacht six. Give me that yacht six, boy. Basically. And so from 40 feet away with the 30 yacht six, Terry shot this wolf straight in the chest and felt bad for having to shoot the animal. But the wolf just stared back again, seemingly unharmed. And this is a deer rifle. Yeah, this is a deer rifle. This is, he said he's dropped a fucking huge ass elk with this thing. And yeah, it's not no problem. Yeah, it's not messing around. It's a big gun. So nothing happened, seemingly unharmed. The next shot just tore a chunk of flesh out of it and sent it, like, trotting away. It didn't even really seem too phased by it, but just walked briskly over her way into the woods. I think the shot that finally sent it kind of going away was in the in the mouth, like, literally shot it in the face. Yeah. And so Terry and his son take off after it, knowing that it will come back and kill more of their cows. And so they're tracking this wolf through the like little forest area around their house they're like tracking it with like mud prints and they can find these deep set wolf prints because it's real muddy there's just been a rain or something so there's like this two inch mud and all of a sudden they get to like this ravine with a canal like like a 30 foot drop off the side and all of a sudden the wolf prints disappear and don't pick up anywhere else so either this wolf jumped into the ravine 30 feet and is dead down at the bottom or it just disappeared and they can't find it anywhere straight above it was a tree but that's all they could think and didn't think that the dog would be hiding or a wolf would be hiding in the tree little did they know little did they know what they were dealing with and you know plausibly it just flew away yeah it could be anything i mean it launched itself they did go back and check and see that there was no wolf body there in, in the ravine in the ravine but both terry and his son Felt an extreme uneasiness, as they described it when they were walking home. And <laughs> I'll say. His son was, like, shaking. He was so scared. So they, they went back to the house, you know, just kind of writing it off. Jesus, that was a crazy big that wolf. That was a huge wolf. Yeah. Looking over your shoulder the whole time walking back, though, you're like, 
Like, where is it? Yeah, where did it go? So would that be a skinwalker? Yes, that's what I, that's I believe. a classic skinwalker form. It is, because not necessarily seeing human as prey could be just a more benign skinwalker. Like, I'm not really going to, like, hurt or haunt you people. You don't know what I am. You don't know who I am. So I can just go along my way. You'll have a cool story about a big wolf. And then all of a sudden, that animal instinct kicked in, and he saw that dumb prey animal with the eyes on the sides of its head and its natural instincts kicked in and he became more animal than in control and it's crazy to think that it, like the when it was walking up to them and and he petted it it's crazy to think that he, like you're right at that point it wasn't like no it was so just think i'm a wolf yeah no it was like I'm to not... them i'm i'm one of those cool pets that people have or whatever so is there only two negative things only happen to you if you see them turn into an animal i guess i mean they do have like insatiable appetites or whatever they do like causing harm and things like that but that doesn't mean that's all they do they're not necessarily all extremely evil skinwalkers they are just some of them like worried about their identity or in their animal form they feel comfortable enough to have human human contact i don't know but do you think if they wouldn't have shot it for attacking the calf it would have just gone on its way and left him alone? No, because... They're in the path of the skinwalker. Yeah, I, I think, like... Do you think that this more or less brought it upon them? Like, the more intense stuff that happens? Having cattle around? Or, or no, just being... I mean, obviously, if you see a five-foot wolf, if you would have just gone back in the house and left it be, do you think none of this would have happened? Do you think attacking it kind of kicked in the... Well, you fuck with me, I'm gonna fuck with you. No, I don't, because it's not all Skinwalker doing shit to them, I don't think. Some of it is other high strangeness that has to do with what I think is really going on in the area, but I can present my uh, uh, theory on that later, if you'd like. So, something that I noticed, at least in the book that I was listening to, is that the even though the Shermans, or not the Shermans, the Myers... Even though the Myers never actually reported many accounts of high strangeness, when the Shermans moved into the house, there were closets uh, with padlocks on them on both sides of the doors, and there were rooms in the same situation. And there was just... Like, yeah, I, I think I read that there were deadbolts on all the doors, interior yeah. doors of the house. They just... And windows, all the windows had all the windows, like, yeah. bolts and things like that. So, and these cages that they had built out in their yard for dogs were like extreme, like to make Heavy sure duty. that they stayed safe, safe. inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't like, trying it wasn't to keep enough. the dogs in, it was trying to keep something else out. Yeah, it was crazy. And so they just sort of, you know, counted that off as like these people were, you know, kooky out in the middle of nowhere, old people that were just worried. Maybe a little racist? Maybe. Yeah, they were like, oh, I'm fucking, never mind. So there actually is a second encounter with the wolf, and that was when Gwen was heading home from work. She started working for a realty company in uh, Roosevelt, and she opened the gate, and as she got back into her car from the corner of her eye, she caught a glimpse of a large gray wolf that looked almost identical to the one they had shot a few weeks before. Get the yacht! And then another one stood farther back, and it was black against like this 
twilighted evening background. Oh, she but, had two wolves there? Yeah, but it was like more bent and strange looking than the wolf that he she had just seen and thought like this is more of like one of those exotic breed dogs with like weird shaggy loose skin or something. Oh, she thought it was an Irish wolfhound. She thought it was something. That being like the thing that she saw, the car was the dog was literally the height of her car. She used to drive this little Chevette and she saw that the wolf was the same height as her car. So the next day she actually goes to the tribal office in Fort Duchesne, and she was shocked to be told that there had not been a wolf in that area since 1929 when the last one was eradicated. They were adamant. They were adamant. There was no way she could have seen a wolf. It had to be a coyote, which as anyone who's seen a coyote knows, they're the smaller version of the wolf, not the bigger version. And, uh, And they were adamant that, nope, there's no wolves here. That's not what you saw. It was like when, uh, Luke Skywalker rolls into uh, uh, what's the place where he takes uh, Obi Wan with him, and they stop the stormtroopers stop him, and he's like, "These are not the droids you're looking for." It's just like that. It was just like that. I remember. So was it in your guys's books? Because in the documentary that I watched, at least they said that when he shot the chunk off of the larger wolf in the first instant, they went back and they picked it up and instead of being like a piece of a piece of flesh that they just shot off of a dog it was a pile of rotting meat basically oh yeah really no that wasn't in my book some people actually speculate that this could have been a dire wolf which is a ancient form of the wolf that has been extinct for 10,000 years and it's just a very very large large wolf like wolves are big this is like three times the size. Like so. a reanimated dire wolf. So that's, I don't know, that was one of the first instances. And if that were me, I would have been like, what the fuck did I just see? But this is in 1994, so they don't really have the internet. They can't go inside and be like, Jesus Christ, big wolf, what do I do? <laughs> 94 was a strange time because it's not like the 50s where that you haven't like never heard of this type of thing, right? And you see it. But in 94, there was a little bit of like... At least people knew what Bigfoot was. You'd have to be like, holy shit. Yeah. Chupacabra? What was that? So a few weeks after that, Terry's nephew comes into town to visit the ranch. He's supposed to come around down for the summer, help around the farm, and do a couple things while he's out there. Learn to be, you know, more of a manly man, I guess, is what they used to do. Knowing that he had a fear of the dark, Terry kind of decided, well, we're going to go out for a walk. I'm going to take this. I'm going to go do this beautiful spot that i see and maybe the kid won't be afraid of the dark so terry takes his nephew and his son out on this walk to this idyllic view but it was ruined by a couple of lights off in the distance in the north end of the property uh annoyed by the intrusion on his time with his son and his nephew terry paced towards what he assumed was an rv son and nephew close behind to tell off the trespassers yeah he was pissed he thought that they were like setting up to essentially camp on his land because yeah. he's out in the middle of nowhere yeah, since he's down in the middle of nowhere, and he's like, I hate people that can't honor a no trespassing sign. Or just find a Walmart parking lot. Right. So Terry was surprised when the RV started moving in the direction in the direction away from them when they were about 200 yards away. Worried they were going to drive through the fences on the property, Terry starts jogging towards the vehicle. As he's jogging towards the RV, he begins to realize that it's hopping over fences without hitting them. Literally, it was described as just, like, floating. Yeah, just like, up, boom, over, like, boom. just a little, yeah. Like, like a how little, a deer would move? Basically. Yeah, real similar to that, just floating over, 
trees, fences. Yeah, and so way. his son and his nephew like catch up with him in time to see the RV kind of like take flight above the tree line and kind of just putter off into the distance. Right after this, the nephew goes home and the family calls back to Terry and says, we're not going to visit ever. We're not going to let him visit ever until you move away from that ranch. Yeah, they knew there was some weird shit going on because you can't just see a bouncing RV. They called it, so they said when they first walked up to it, they thought it was an RV. Then they got up close to it and it was a refrigerator, or it looked like a refrigerator on its side. And it had uh, lights on the front, like a beacon on the front, like regular, I would assume white, yellow light, and a red light on the back. So I thought it was like a tail light. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really fucking weird. It's just really, it's just really weird. Imagine you just walk up and then it's like, there's this giant scion just hopping over trees. Right. So a little later on, winter has settled on the Uinta basin and the cold really settled in. Terry had taken to walking the property at night to keep the strangeness at bay and also keep track of his high priced cattle. One night, during the 30 below temperatures while performing a late-night weirdness check, Terry came across, outlined against the ridge, what he described as a stealth bomber covered in disco lights, hovering roughly 20 feet above the ground. And this was just a couple of years after the stealth bomber had been declassified yeah, by the U.S. government. the F-172 or whatever they call it. So what did that look like exactly? It's one of the triangle-shaped one that's really, like, flat. Well, it, I'm... Want a description for yeah, the people? Yeah, it's it's kind of like triangle it's, shaped. It's got the jagged cutouts on the back wings, and then it is uh, pointed on the. Fr- it looks like a fancy paper airplane, really. Kind of looks like a boomerang, really. Yeah, it does. It looks like a boomerang. Okay. And that's the one that can like drive. It can sneaky drop nukes anywhere. Yeah. But I'm so sure a lot of people have seen videos of these. Like they have a distinct outline. Terry hits the ground and tried to wait for the craft to leave. The UFO went lights out and started moving towards Terry. It slowly passed him and continued its way up the ridge. Terry goes walking back to the house, cold as all hell, shaking, concerned, and kind of thinks maybe that was a military aircraft. But because he had this, like, he had this theory that there was a uh, like covert operatives using his land to do these testings, and so when he saw this thing that looked like a B fifty two bomber. It just strengthened that idea in his head, which, you know, maybe he just wanted it to not be aliens, but... I think it's an F-177 or some F-177, 72. So was there any noise or was it completely silent? No, it was completely silent on this one. Like, just fucking absolutely quiet. A few nights later, as Terry was out of town and the kids were staying with friends, Gwen, dreading being alone on the property, jumped in her car after closing the hate, after closing the gate when she got home from work. She noticed a dark triangular shape in her rear view, and it paced the car floating 20 to 30 feet off the ground. Lights flashed along the edges of the craft as she sped down the quarter-mile driveway. She pulled up in front of her house, and the craft continued on into the distance. Yeah, what I, was, what I heard in my book was that he uh, directed the lights onto her car yeah. and followed her all the way up to her house. She's like, what the fuck? But then luckily it just... Continue. Yeah, just kept going and going. Now, did Terry tell her whenever he saw something weird? I mean, obviously the first wolf wasn't. For the most part, he, I believe he kind of kept some of the things from her, but everything else. Because it's interesting that he sees it and then she sees it. (laughs) I think he had like a scale. Like he was like, all right, if it's a walking giant dog or above, I'm going to tell her. And if it's a floating 
dark shape in the sky, I'm going to not tell her. Well, at this time, like, shit's happening to all of them. Like, his kids are even having shit happen to him. Like, one of the weirdest things that just happened right off the bat was Terry would be outside using a tool. All of a sudden, it would disappear. And he'd come stomping in the house and be like, who the fuck came out and took my tool? And be like, no one. We've all been sitting here for 30 minutes. I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, well, okay. And he'd go outside. And the same thing would happen over and over again. And he comes in and says, why Why does this keep happening? And his daughter kind of like speaks up and says, well, it's happening to me too. And then they all kind of have a weird conversation like, oh, that's really weird. Is that where the missing 10 mil joke came from? No, but it is the missing 70 pound uh, jackhammer or whatever he found in a tree way up to high yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't they find them, like, 20 to 30 feet away from him? Yeah, like, he found, like, a 70-pound tool up in a tree, like, 12 feet or something like that. And there's no way any of his kids are going to throw it up there or anything. It's got to be so mad, because it's so irritating, because you can't get it down. Yeah, like, what are you going to do? And then as soon as it gets windy, it's going to fall and fuck shit up. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're like, I literally left this tool. It's the size of a small child here, and now yeah, it's gone. What did you do with it? But Was that a tree? That same night, as she did dishes at her sink, well, Gwen had called Terry right before this and told her what happened, but that same night, as she did the dishes at her sink, Gwen looked out and saw there was an RV, slightly illuminated, like, it was open, so she could kind of see into it, and it was slightly illuminated with a little desk sitting about 200 yards outside of her window. She was extremely concerned, and with no idea how the RV got there, she continued to watch as a black silhouette with a helmet on and about seven feet tall, got into the RV. She quickly closed the blinds, called Terry. And I don't know if she stayed awake all night or she blacked out or whatever, but I would have been glued to that goddamn window. Yeah, she literally, because it sat down at the desk, and then all of a sudden it stood up and walked towards her, what I was reading, and it was, even though she couldn't tell that it was staring at her because it, it had a visor yeah. covering its face, um, she couldn't tell, like, she couldn't see its eyes, but she just felt like it was staring at her. And she shut the blinds, and she called, like you said, she called Terry, and then she didn't look back out there once. No, she just did not even want to know, but she said she could tell that the man was tall because the way he was standing next to the RV and the background light was hitting him, he had to have been at least seven feet tall. And it was definitely, in, like, an RV this time? That's what it she wasn't a fridge? I, I mean... Well, 200 yards away in the dark. Yeah, it might be hard to tell, but she did say RV. It's weird that they lights. drive RVs. Right? The next morning when Terry arrived home, they scoped the area where the craft had been and saw large footprints had been left. And the Shermans knew that they were not alone on the ranch. One of the more common occurrences on the property were bright orange floating structures that the whole family saw from time to time. Now, when they say floating structures, I get this, like, flat bottom, like, keyway-shaped thing with a little, like, the entrance to a cave that you'd see on the side of a mountain in a Wiley Coyote cartoon. In, in my book, it was described as looking, like, literally like a portal. Yeah. Like, a way for something to get between dimensions. They, like, yeah, and that was the thing. They were all, like, bright orange, and the whole family would see them. So, at night... There was this old four-foot-tall tree stump out in the yard, and that was Terry's favorite vantage point for watching orbs. He had binoculars, but his the thing that he liked the best was his uh, rifle with night vision goggles because when he looked through the into the orbs, 
it looked like there was a tear in the sky that showed daylight through into another universe. And this also leads into my theory as to what is really going on there. But and um, he said it looked really thin. Like it was just a thin, like almost a, like a veil between worlds. Exactly. Cattle mutilations are a known phenomenon in the Western United States. And Terry Sherman is no stranger to random cattle disappearance and mutilation. In early 1995, Terry was rounding up his cattle from each corner of his ranch to get a head count after a snowstorm. Now, cows usually hide under trees or anywhere there's actually some sort of shelter, so Terry began searching those places for one of his missing breeding heifer. Heifers? Heifers. He followed tracks in the deep snow to a clearing that was semi-surrounded by bushes, where it appeared that the cow had began running and veered towards the bushes and just disappeared. The cow was never seen again, and just apparently vanished out of thin air, almost as if it had run straight into a portal. Or flown away. Or flown away. Something was chasing it, I don't know. It's a good thing he wasn't a pig farmer. Right. He's seeing if hell froze over. (laughs) After the long winter of 94-95, the rains came on, and in one particularly stormy day, Terry and his son were completing a roundup during a low-visibility storm. Terry's son had been charged with catching a few-month-old calf when he passed a cow stuck in a canal. He had made a note to check on it after he returned the calf to its mother. The canal was not flowing too heavy, but 20 minutes later, when the boy came back after returning the calf to its mom, the cow was silent and laying motionless. I think that's me. Terry's son was surprised that the cow was seemingly dead and ran to its side. He couldn't fathom what he saw next and puked after he shouted for his father. A large hole had been cut out of the cow and looked as if everything had been sucked out without losing a drop of blood. Terry came running over and basically puked himself and just stared at this dead cow in the snowstorm for like five, ten minutes. I had I had heard in the book that I listened to that the cow had been had had its uh, tongue, anus, and genitals cut out. Yeah, cut out basically like six-inch holes. Then it looked like everything was just <laughs> slurped out. out. Yeah, That's but, gnarly. And Terry would lose about four more cattle under differing strange circumstances before 1996. Did they have any horses, or did they do all of this on no, foot? No, they were riding horses at the okay. time. Like, yeah, he was riding up And the horses horse. never really reacted? No, they did. All the animals semi-reacted to at least one thing or another. But during this situation, no, they didn't have a bad reaction because he had jumped off the horse and run down to the little ravine or canal where this cow was stuck to see what was up. And it was just lying motionless there, dead there with holes cut out of it. So something did this in a rainstorm, too, which is in the middle of a full on storm in 20 minutes. And Terry told us that, like, I was here 20 minutes ago. I swear to God, this cow was alive. That's absolutely crazy. It's like something was just waiting for the right moment. Or just saw a prey animal in distress. Or advantage. tested subsonic lasers and just melted the cow's insides. I don't know. The government. Anyway. All right. Are you going to take over here with a little bit of a blue orb talk? Shortly after the uh, B2, the, the discotheque in the sky sightings, um, the high strangeness decided to reveal itself in an entirely new way to the Shermans. One night, as they were out uh, doing a check, uh, this was actually Terry and Gwen, uh, they were out doing a, a late night check on their cattle, as they had come to do at this point pretty regularly. 
with all this weird stuff going on. They got they took horses out to this uh, uh, watering tank for the for the cattle, and they got off their horses and they walked out to check on the cattle. And they noticed that all the cows were really like fidgety, really uneasy, like almost like when you see uh, cattle about to like stampede. And so they were watching them, and they started to feel as they were standing there watching the cows that they were also being watched. So they, you know, they got a really strange, uneasy feeling also. So they look over to where their horses uh, were were standing under some trees grazing, and they notice a strange softball-sized orb of blue light floating above the trees, above the horses. And as they're watching it, and they're like, what the hell is this? The orb comes down near the horses, it floats above them as if it were observing the horses or the people, whatever it was doing, they got the feeling that it was observing them or their horses. The orbs were hovering silently above them, but they seemed like they had some kind of crackling or bubbing, bubbling noise coming from them, and it seemed like they were filled with some kind of blue fluid. They were radiating blue light, and it seemed like they had fluid inside of them. Gwen grabbed a flashlight, and she attempted to shine the light onto the orb, but at, the, at this point, the orb shot up. Uh, easily evading her light, and went o- over the tree line. Lost sight of it for a few minutes. They got on their horses, and they head back towards their house, and they notice the orb still heading away from them, and it goes over their house. And as it goes over their house, they literally see the lights in their house fluctuate like there was a power surge. <laughs> Chalked it up to the same weird shit that they've been seeing. That was until a few nights later when they had their second encounter. They had their second encounter with the blue orbs. This time it all went bad. At this point, the blue orbs were visiting the Shermans on a pretty regular basis. And on this particular night, as Terry was sitting on the porch enjoying his evening, the now familiar flash lit the sky. He saw the orb coming across the property towards him slowly. It never seemed aggressive at this point. And he had his three dogs also sitting on the porch with him. And they, you know, when they noticed the orb, they bristled and started to growl uneasily. Almost as if the orb noticed the dogs, it changed directions about 100 yards from the porch. After weeks, if not months, of these intrusions, Terry was annoyed. (laughs) He made a rash and ultimately ultimately regrettable decision... With a quick command, he sent the dogs after the orb. Three animals took off like thoroughbreds out of the gate and quickly caught up with the orb. Despite the fact that it had previously shown its ability to cover ground quickly, it was not accelerating. It was not accelerating. If anything, it was the opposite. It seemed to be toying with the dogs, allowing them to get extremely close and then shooting up in the air, narrowly avoiding their jaws as they tried to chomp down onto it. The dogs began to be more and more frustrated and continued chasing the orb even more fervently. Eventually, the orb came down near the dogs to get their attention and shot into the woods. The dogs quickly followed, disappearing for what turned out to be the last time. Seconds later, Terry could hear three high-pitched yelps, and the horror of what had happened began to set in. Terry waited for hours, knowing the worst but hoping for a better outcome. Finally, he retired to sleep, deciding to wait for a solar escort to brave the deadly woods. 
And the next morning, when he ventured into the woods, he found exactly what he had hoped he would not. Three piles of flesh, but the condition of the corpses was something he could not have explained or really even been ready to see. It appeared as though the orb, once it had drawn the dogs into the woods, quickly changed it from a game of cat and mouse to a game of hunter and prey as it seemingly turned and obliterated the dogs, leaving behind nothing but piles of blood and what appeared to be incinerated flesh. It was literally like nothing Terry had ever seen, and at that point he realized the ranch was not going to accept him and his family. I think that's where we're going to end up for this week, guys. I think we'll be back next week with a little bit more as when the Shermans do decide to leave the ranch. And It's going to get dicey next week. We're going to talk a lot about UFOs. It's going to be real fun. There's tons of UFOs. Uh, we just wanted to set it up for you guys this week so you could understand what you're dealing with. But next week is when it really is going to get good. Shit gets intense. And there's no more canine murder. Yeah. Because that shit sucked. Then the week after that, we're going to have a bunch of legal jargon coming from me. Uh, four? We're doing Andrea Yates, and I'm going to talk a lot about insanity defenses. Ooh, fun stuff, so look forward to that, guys. But as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast on Instagram at Four Corners Crimecast, on Twitter at Four Corners Cast, and at Tumblr, no, and at fourcornerscrimecast.tumblr.com. And as always, give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. You can head over there for a full episode list or to send us any ideas you might have for an episode that you'd like to hear us cover. Or you can get your free sticker from our merch store simply by entering the code Bingo Bango at Chepa. At checkout, we will ship that out to you 100% for free. So we hope you guys have a good week. And if you see anything weird, don't shut the curtains. Because how else are you going to know what the fuck's happening? Or do if it's a skinwalker so he doesn't think you found out his identity. But thanks for listening. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers. Bye. Yeah, I went to law school. Penal lawyer was not what I thought it was going to be.